What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Midwives are a really unique type of care provider. So we're sort of seen as a holistic sort of care provider in women's health. At the same time, we're, you know, a very skilled care provider. We, um, you know, are trained to deliver babies, to um, respond to obstetric emergencies like hemorrhage or shoulder dystocia. The majority of midwives in this country work in the hospital um, to deliver babies. And then, you know, a large segment work outside of the hospital as well. How has your practice changed with the coronavirus and COVID-19 in the past month? One of the truths about this last month has just been sort of this feeling of uncertainty and, and this feeling like we can't be sure of what what's coming next. And so the practice has had to become really nimble and we're actually sort of changing guidelines and changing, um, you know, our philosophy and sort of our response to the pandemic um, on almost sometimes it feels like an hourly basis. So, you know, obstetric care, care for pregnant women is one of those things. I mean, it's essential, right? Babies are going to keep coming. These are overwhelmingly healthy folks that are sort of being forced in a way to um, stay in this overwhelmed healthcare system. Other sort of changes we've had to make are, of course, how we operate in the clinic. And this has been around personal protective equipment or PPE, which I know folks have heard a lot about. So, you know, before, let's say, you know, a couple of months ago when I would walk into a clinic room, and this is very much to the heart of midwifery, you know, there there would be um, a lot of kind of smiling and laughing and perhaps a hug for patients that I know and who are getting close to delivery, perhaps, you know, a comforting touch on the shoulder for difficult times, um, lots of kind of emotional interaction, facial expression, all of this stuff was sort of key to how I interact with with patients and families. And now in our clinic Mm -hmm. each day, you know, we are walking in and masking with a surgical mask covering our nose and mouth. Things feel different. You you are your face is covered. You're having to rely a lot more on the expressiveness of maybe just your eyes and your voice. No more kind of handshaking, no more hugging, no more touching. Um, you sort of feel far apart, sort of like you're on opposite sides of this um, clinic room. And that's been a huge shift in the clinic. Certainly that that's had an effect. Welcome to The Women, a production of iHeartRadio and myself, Rose Reed. COVID-19 has complicated the way we live our lives, and for women who are pregnant, it has completely upended the way that they are planning to give birth, and it's affecting pregnant women all over the world. One of my friends, Claire, who is pregnant with her second child in Lyon, France, is due in June. It's real like we're in sci-fi movie. It's so strange. We found out last week that um, Nicolai cannot even come to my next appointment for the for the sonogram, so I'll have to go alone. So you pretty much have to do everything alone, which is really weird, especially when you're pregnant and then you want absolutely the dad to be involved. But well, we just <laughs> do what we have to do. Um, I hope that everything 
can go back to normal or at least a, some normal um, before the baby arrives because I really don't want him to uh, arrive in this world in this situation. Expecting moms all over the world are facing a rapid change in restrictions at birthing centers as they are facing growing concerns about giving birth in a hospital where they're more likely to get exposed or contract the coronavirus. To limit their chance of exposure, hospitals are restricting their visitor policies. And in New York, when two private hospitals announced that women would not be allowed to have anyone with them to deliver their newborns, including their spouses, Governor Andrew Cuomo issued an executive order backing up the New York Health Department, affirming that all women would be guaranteed at least one support person in the delivery room. But for many birthing moms, that means making a choice, a choice between a parent or a spouse or between a spouse and their doula, as doulas have not been deemed as, quote, essential personnel. In countries like Iceland and the Netherlands, they are setting up birthing clinics outside of the hospital, converting hotel suites into delivery rooms. And many new moms are wondering if they should avoid the risk and restrictions at hospitals and give birth at home. A private practice midwife in Brooklyn, who usually has between 70 and 80 patients a year, got inundated with over 170 requests over the course of three days. The Women has been focusing on women on the front lines fighting COVID-19, and for this episode, I wanted to know what the experience looks like from a midwife's perspective. One of my friends who I met in college, Kate Dirks, is a nurse practitioner and midwife. My name is Kate Dirks, and I'm a certified nurse midwife in the southeastern United States here in Atlanta, Georgia. I work for a large clinic here in Atlanta with five different locations, uh, serving lots of women, a diverse patient population here. Uh, catch babies in a very busy labor and delivery unit. In fact, the, the busiest labor and delivery unit in the country. We deliver something north of 25,000 babies a year. Kate is a violin player. She takes facts really seriously, as well as games. She'll clean up at trivia night, but she loves the physical world and studied biology in college and worked for the CDC. And then she studied nursing and midwifery at Emory University. We can do better, you know, for in maternity care, we can do better than just healthy baby, healthy mom. The women's experiences of birth really matter. She's been really busy in clinic, but spoke with me and recorded herself in her kitchen on her day off. And can you describe um, how birthing has changed, uh, the protocol for what you wear and for how you deliver? Yeah, so the hospital has has made changes around how um, folks are dressed in PPE in the hospital. So our hospital is limited visitors or folks that accompany birthing people to just one support person. Um, and then when you're inside the hospital from the moment you arrive, um, you know, providers and nurses and staff are wearing surgical masks. There is this kind of feeling that we have to conserve these um, items because there is this shortage of personal protective equipment. So many nurses, um, many midwives, many docs are sort of reusing um, surgical masks or, or masks in the, in the um, hospital hallways and in the delivery room. And have you ever seen that in your career? Have you ever had to reuse a mask before or even think about it? 
No, in fact, you know, for many places to reuse a pers- piece of personal protective equipment could have been nearly a, f- a fireable offense or, or certainly something that was absolutely wow. not tolerated. So the idea that okay. you would ever use, um, you know, a piece of disposable personal protective equipment again for, you know, another patient would, would have been absolutely out of the question. But when you're in the delivery room, and this is very different for me too, because as a midwife, um, again, kind of thinking about midwives as practitioners who are holistic and think about sort of the emotional needs of women in labor, I, I certainly would wear um, would wear gloves in the delivery room, and often, you know, obviously we're we're wearing scrubs. But beyond that, I wouldn't typically cover my face in a, in a birth because I really um, value the sort of emotional connection between a birthing person and her care provider. Not everybody wears the same thing to deliveries, even in in um, non-COVID-19 times, but certainly now in a delivery room, you know, you're in booties, a gown, gloves, you wear a N95 mask, and then that is covered by a surgical mask eye covering, either a face shield that's attached to the mask or a separate set of glasses or goggles. The hair is covered. And so you kind of walk into this space looking very different than than you normally would. And again, this is really important. I'm not, you know, arguing against this because we saw in New York and yeah. in other places that, you know, women are often asymptomatic carriers and certainly the pushing phase of labor is definitely a time where things are aerosolized and there is risk for healthcare providers. I do try to um, make sure that I can make eye contact with women when possible, depending on their laboring position or where they are. I mean, so many actors have won Emmys just based off their facial expressions wearing a <laughs> surgical mask. Well, I will. Like Sandra spe- oh. I will submit <laughs> myself. No, I, I, you know, I think it's an ongoing process, but touch touch and voice and expression and all this stuff it does it does matter in the birth room and and you know I've had to had to try try to navigate that can you give an idea of how many people a birthing mother usually has with her on average or you can give like a range sure so it's it really really depends on the birthing person's preferences and that's always most important birth is one of those magical kind of occurrences where energy and sort of the way the room feels really impacts the the way birth unfolds. We know that the hormone that's, you know, responsible for strong uterine contractions works really well when we're calm and in a dark environment. And I'm sure this all harkens back to the way our, our species has evolved. And so, you know, the birth energy in the room, I think, really matters. And so who you pick to kind of attend your birth is typically folks that sort of make you feel safe, that you don't have to sort of worry about. And so for some women, that means that they really want to limit the number of people in the room and maybe just have one other person. It's most commonly the um, partner, father, the baby, or the partner to the to the mother. Some families have, you know, large groups of people that they want to include in their birth. So they want to include um, their other children, or they want to include, um, certainly the mother of the birthing, birthing person is often a really I love births when you've got, you know, several generations of women in one room who've sort of 
you know, to look into the eyes of your mother who birthed you and sort of feel like, you know, you can do this because the women before you have done this. I mean, that's an incredible source of strength. And I have heard from a lot of women this week in clinic, very upset in tears sometimes that their mothers and their sisters and the other sort of powerful women who they draw a lot of strength from who understand sort of fundamentally what's going on um, in that room aren't going to be able to be included because God love, you know, the partners and the husbands of women, but they are often <laughs> just kind of overwhelmed and they've got big eyes. And sometimes it's the mother <laughs> who's really the one who can get in and sort of really understand, you know, what the birthing person is going, going through. So what do you think about the shift of women really, and, and with, with good research, thinking about the option to give birth at home or give birth in a different birthing center? I really understand why women want to avoid um, the healthcare system right now. Our home birth midwives and our birth center are overwhelmed with requests for transfer, a lot of times very late wow. transfer. And okay. um, and the truth is, is that's it's great and it's understandable, but it's not always possible. And our you know midwives know this and they have had to have some really difficult conversations with people just because they don't have time to sort of form the relationship. I've had patients who've asked me about, um, about out-of-hospital birth. I really love home birth and I think it can be a beautiful, safe option for women. But one of its sort of key elements is relationship building between the home birth midwife or the home birth provider and the patient. So this relationship is created over weeks and weeks and weeks of prenatal care that's usually done in the home. And so if something, you know, were were to happen, I think it's something like 30% of first-time home birth um, mothers do have to transfer to a hospital. If something happens in birth that requires a transfer, that requires you know a change in um, in the delivering environment, that midwife can look in the the patient's eyes and they trust them implicitly and they know okay it's time to go. You know I trust this person. So home birth midwives unfortunately are almost across the board out of network for insurance. Um, so we're talking about you know a really big um, cost to folks. Um, people People that are relying on, you know, Medicaid or don't have that kind of money are are excluded from from the ability to birth at home. Um, but I will say that I think the pandemic will, should. I mean, this this thing is going to have some some impact, and I think we would really be doing a disservice if we didn't allow this painful outrageous period of time not to kind of make some fundamental changes to our system. And one of the changes I think we really need to consider is why the majority of women in this country, healthy women, women who have no risk factors, women who are great candidates for out-of-hospital birth, why is it that, you know, all women must birth in a hospital in this country? Mm -hmm. The virus and the pandemic have kind of illustrated um, you know, some real issues with a very sort of um, patriarchal kind of top-down sort of healthcare system that really doesn't always have the well-being of women first and foremost. Coming up, can a baby catch the coronavirus from a mom that has COVID-19? That's after the break.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you think that these, all these changes that are being made to protect against the spread of the coronavirus and to protect against the transmission of COVID-19 can be done without any lack of providing for new moms and for, for women who are giving birth? Or do you think that all new moms are going to have to make, are we forcing all new moms to make a concession or a trade-off for the overall public good? You know, I think the reality is, is that we are asking mothers, women, families, newborns to make a trade-off for the public good. I think across the board, there have had to have been difficult choices um, that are all coming from a good place of attempting to limit the spread of COVID-19. But the reality is, is that it can't be the same experience as it was before. This is especially true for um, women um, of color, Native women, Black women, Brown women, women from these communities who historically have been treated so inequitably. In across the country, it's you know at least four times as likely to have poor outcomes in in childbirth and maternal care, and these um, these inequities are going to just be unfortunately kind of um, magnified by by the virus. But the truth is, is that because, you know, we are, we're terrified that we might, you know, make a baby sick, which, you know, is, is a legitimate fear. So we, we are pretty confident in the research coming out of China that we don't have what's called vertical transmission, meaning, um, you know, and, and again, this data is always changing and the sort of numbers of cases that we've been able to study are very low. But so far, it looks like good news that vertical transmission isn't happening, meaning we're not passing the virus through the placenta in utero or through the breast milk. But of course, once the baby is born, then they become, you know, just they become susceptible to the virus as just a breathing, you know, baby. Um, and so, so some, some protocols in hospitals are, are making it routine to separate um, babies from COVID positive mothers, you know, regardless of symptoms, regardless of ability to, um, to cover or appropriately um, garb for, for protection of the infant. And um, I think what happened in New York, you know, there's something like 30 um, folks who were exposed on a, you know, on labor and delivery from asymptomatic carriers, then if you have whole labor and delivery wards going down because they're sick, then it impacts, you know, folks very profoundly. And this stuff, I I really do understand the fear and where it's coming from, because nobody wants to make anybody sick, especially a newborn baby. Um, But I think we do have to be sort of sort of really careful about understanding um, risk and benefit for these choices and and avoid what you're you're kind of talking about, which is this knee jerk reaction. It's one of the reasons I really love being a hospital midwife is because I think 
you do need an advocate in that setting to kind of help you take back some of that that power, some of this feeling in medicine that you do what you're told and everything will be okay. And if you don't do what you're told or you ask too many questions, then bad things will happen to you. I'm wondering if in the last week uh, or two weeks, if you could maybe describe one birth from that, that experience for you and for what you saw in your patient sure. um, under this different situation. Sure, absolutely. So I had a very busy um, shift on labor and delivery last week on Thursday. We had, I think, um, seven women who were on the labor and delivery unit, three of whom were actively laboring and uh, four of whom were there for inductions of labor. And now, so I'm, you know, I'm standing outside the door of, um, of this family who is having their um, second baby girl. And so went into the room and kind of at the doorway, you're um, handed your gown, gloves, mask, booty. I sort of change the way I mask for that stage, which is to put that N95 um, under the surgical mask and and replace the surgical mask with one with a face shield. Um, And that N95, it really does, you know, you've seen these images of care providers with bruises that have to wear these for, for many long hours. It really does kind of, it's uncomfortable on the face. When the PPE goes on, there's this moment of kind of adjustment where you sort of learn to be more expressive in other ways and and still sort of connected. And then, you know, when as things kind of proceeded and we were pushing together in these different positions and um, the support person in this birth happened to be um, the husband, the father of the baby, and he was there at the side. And, you know, at that point, things kind of clicked back into gear and it felt, it felt normal. It felt good. It felt joyful. Um, and, and this baby was, um, was born a sunny side up baby, which was really special and always an auspicious birth when the baby sort of, um, (laughs) if the birthing person is on their back, this means that the baby kind of comes up looking at the stars or up at the a sky, which is, you know, not the standard way babies are born. They're typically looking down if the, if the birthing person is reclining. So that was really special and it was really joyful. The birthing person and her support person don't have to wear masks in our setting. And so, you know, at that point, you're just sort of um, a facilitator. You kind of help um, mm-hmm. this mother chose to kind of look with a mirror and sort of touch and then receive the baby. And at that point, you're just sort of holding space um, for these folks. And it, and it was, it was really a moment of joy. And one of the first times on that shift that I felt really at home and comfortable and, you know, didn't have this kind of gnawing sense of anxiety or rage or tension that has really been permeating the hospital lately. So, um, it sounds like in that moment, this baby that came into the world took the kaleidoscope into focus of like, I think that COVID and coronavirus have been such, um, they're distractions, but we have to deal with them in very real ways. Mm -hmm. And yet they can be this fog covering what's right in front of us with our human connections or the task at hand. That's right. I, I, that's absolutely right. Babies are going to keep coming. Birth is going to go on. And, and I think, you know, the hospital is, is doing, doing the best it can with the resource it has to, to sort of protect that. But, um, but that was a real moment of clarity. It was, it, was, it was beautiful. Coming up, Kate shares her own birth story. That's after the break. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So, truth or truth, this is uh, we go light after we go deep. Okay. Bow, bow, bow. Were you born uh, vaginally or via C-section? So, my birth story, I was born vaginally. Um my mom, um, you know, in the in the eighties, was not. This was not so fashionable, but she had an unmedicated delivery. Um, so I was breastfed for a, a long time. I think I think we got close to two and a half years or some, oh something God. like that. So, what is the song that you're playing right now on a violin that you're fiddling? Ooh, um, I am not ready to debut by any stretch, but listening to more Zydeco music and trying to think about um, how to maybe become less of a violin player and more of a fiddle player. One song that I've been playing on the fiddle and playing on the guitar is called Hard Times by Gillian Welch. And it is, um, it's beautiful and I think um, is a real balm for the times. There was a captain man Used to plow and Kate Dirks is a midwife in Atlanta, and if you have questions or would like to tell us your story, please email us at thewomenpod at gmail.com. You can find more information about pregnancy and COVID-19 at cdc.gov. The Women is a production of iHeartRadio and myself, your host, Rose Reed. Holly Fry is our executive producer. This episode was mixed by Adrian Lilly. Special thanks to Nora Kipnis and Gail Reed. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We'll be back next week with more from women on the front lines fighting the coronavirus and COVID-19. Take care and be safe. Rose, my dear, how are you? Today I'm okay. I'm going through some real peaks and troughs. So the last couple of days have been good. And I believe that that is probably because I haven't been watching the news. So I think that's a real, real um, thing for me not to watch the news. It might be a bit ostrich in the sand kind of thing. But yeah, it's working for me. It's great to hear from you. Thank you for sending me a message. Miss you. Mwah.